All right, we are a few minutes past the hour. I guess we can go ahead and get started. Thank you. All right, so let's go ahead and kick things off. Welcome to all of our panelists and everyone in the audience. Thanks for being here for another live election panel. I'm Connor, and I'll be moderating today's panel once again. For some questions, I will individually and randomly call on each of you to respond so that everyone has a chance to answer. And for others, I will open the floor to an open discussion style debate where anyone can chime in. It looks like we have about six candidates today and several questions to get through. So we will once again be limiting responses to a minute. So when you hear this sound, that means 45 seconds have passed and it's time to start wrapping up your answer. So let's go ahead and move on to introductions. I'll ask each of you to just please introduce yourself and give a brief statement on what unique experiences or views you bring to the Spartan Council. Tara Bellis, we'll hear from you first. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm quite an OG in the synthetics community, having joined late 2019, I think. Uh, I've been participating actively in governance um, probably for the last six months. Um, bringing to the table my background, both in DeFi, but also professional experience in academia. I studied um, the social science PhD level. I think in terms of a unique contribution, uh, my background in academia gives me something of a humanistic perspective on the cryptocurrency industry generally, but also how the workings of the community within the synthetics ecosystem might best be served. Thank you, Tara. Welcome back. Uh, Red, just a brief introduction from you, please. Thank you. Uh, I'm Red. I was on the um, I was on the Spartan Council in the January to March term, I think it was. Uh, and um, I've been in, involved in the community, I think, since about late 2020. But I was a uh, I've been a staker and um, uh, and, and um, uh, token holder since back in the Haven day. Uh, in terms of, of unique perspectives, um, I've been involved in uh, a lot of quote-unquote real-life governance. Uh, I've been on a few company boards and not-for-profit committees. I've been a local government councillor, so I bring that perspective to the extent that it's useful. Um, uh, and I just try to uh, be an active community member. And, um, yeah, that's, that's a bit of an introduction from me. Sorry, it's a bit stilted at 6 in the morning here and I haven't had any coffee yet. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. Thank you, Red. Uh, Kset, we'll hear from you next on this one. Just a brief introduction, please. Hi, uh, everybody. I'm Kset. I'm currently on Spartan Council, and I'm also a core team member at Lyra Finance. Um, I come from an options and trading risk management background, and I have a lot of experience there, and I I'm looking forward to hopefully keeping our partnerships in line and helping you guys build new partnerships that will bring flow to synthetics. Thank you, KSET. Bert? Hi, so um, I'm Bert, and um, I am currently marketing Dow PM at Quenta. Um, and I think the unique experience that I bring here is that I am a... Uh, kind of the classic retail trader. Um, that's how I got into cryptocurrency in the first place. I 
you know, have a, a decent amount of experience trading um, various financial products in, in both traditional finance and um, and crypt- the crypto world. And um, I think as we kind of expand into um, supporting different types of interesting derivatives products, potentially uh, more more complex derivatives uh, positions becoming possible in uh, using various synthetics products. Um, I think it's really important to have somebody who's um, really got their fingers on the pulse of like what the retail trading experience is like, what kind of tools uh, retail traders want and what kind of issues they're facing. So um, I think that's uh, that's kind of the primary perspective that I bring. And then also I'm uh, I'm very into like communicating with the uh, community. I'm really active in the Discord. And so I think um, part of what I see the job of the Spartan Council as being is to really interface with the community and like be a representative. So I think that's uh, another unique skill that I bring. Thank you. Thank you, Bert. Glad to have you here. Calavera, your introduction, please. Thank you. Hey guys, I'm Calavera. I've been, um, I, I was previously in the Spartan Council or currently in the Spartan Council. Actually, I've been in the Syntactis community already for, since basically they rebranded from Haven. Uh, so um, in, in real life, or actually this is now my real life. So in my other life, uh, I used to come from an IT cybersecurity background, uh, very much on the management side of things. Uh, so what I think that I'm going to bring a little bit in, in, into synthetics and what I bring already into synthetics is, uh, first of all, I'm not a core contributor from synthetics or any of the other uh, ecosystem partners. And, you know, one of the things, if you heard me talk, I, I really feel that just like a board of directors of any company, you need to have an impartial type of council that, you know, that obviously doesn't have bias over anything. So definitely welcome a lot of the core contributors. And I think it's important that we have some of them, but I think it's important that you have people that have nothing to do with them. And that's what I'm trying to do myself. Um, um, apart from that, I'm happy to be here, happy for people to listen in and uh, looking forward to the conversation. So thank you. Thank you, Calavera, and welcome back. And uh, Fief, your introduction, please. Hi, yeah, thanks for hosting again. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Um, I'm a core contributor with Synthetics. Uh, I kind of focus on product and risk and mechanism. Um, I would say, I, I guess the perspective that I bring is just kind of as like a Synthetics generalist, like kind of across a lot of different aspects of the project and how it fits into DeFi and how we can work with other projects in the ecosystem and uh, that sort of thing. Um, I think this will be, I think I've had th- three terms on Spartan Council. So yeah, this will be, this will be my fourth if, if elected. Uh, and I, yep, that's my intro. Thank you, Afif. Welcome back. Uh, now, before we move on, Ale very much wanted to be here today, but is traveling and couldn't make it. He won't be able to to provide answers to all of the questions, but we have agreed to read his pitch as part of the introduction, so I will quickly channel the spirit of the Ethernaut and read his statement. Hi, I'm Ale, aka Ethernaut, and I've been a smart contract developer for five years, two in synthetics as a core contributor. I'm running for the Spartan Council for several reasons. First, because I want to challenge myself and get out of my engineering lab. I want to learn more about Synthetics as a DeFi protocol, and I want to learn about its community. I want to start seeing it as a whole 
and I think that if I can achieve this, I will be a good link between the community, the product, and the engineering team. Second, because I'm designing Synthetic's V3 governance architecture, or V3GM, and I believe that I need to actively participate in governance to truly understand what it is that I need to build and what it is that the community needs. All in all, I think that participation in the Spartan Council will close the circle with my involvement in the protocol and provide value in increasing the coordination of its various facets. Moving on to question two, question two will be for individual response. Uh, how successful can synthetics be compared to traditional derivative systems? What can realistically be achieved if everything goes according to plan? Calavera, we'll hear from you first on this one. Cool, thank you. So I think, you know, one of the, the, the real benefits that we're starting to see, obviously, is regarding the atomic swaps inside of uh, synthetics. Now that's bringing a lot of volume, that's bringing a lot of news into it. In terms of traditional derivative systems, is there really one that is working right now? Like, you know, what are we talking about? Are we talking about do I do X or, or any of those that are moving into other chains? I think what, what is realistically being able to be achieved um, if going according to plan, and I think the plan is changing a lot, is, is the fact that Synthetics is actually building something more than just a chain on Optimism. They're actually trying to build something that can really and truly work cross-chain because you own the assets. You know? that's, 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 you know, that's the big difference between other derivative systems and, and the one Synthetics building. Synthetics owns the assets. Synthetics owns the collateral that manages those assets. In other derivative systems, that is not the case, or at least it's not transparent enough. So uh, as we have seen with the fall of, or I don't want to say the fall, no, but as some protocols are being judged at this moment, I think one that is not being judged is synthetics because it's fully transparent. All its derivative products, all the different indices or all the different uh, synths that we have out there, they're all literally transparent. Everybody can see their collateral ratio. Everybody can see who is falling, who is not falling from a staker perspective. I think uh, what, what Synthetics is going to bring into the ecosystem, just to round it up, is transparency, is trust. It is, it is trust. It is just the fact that, hey, you know, we're not perfect, but we're open and we want people to know what we're out there doing. I think that's what Synthetics is, is, is going to be as an advantage point, in, more a general point. Thank you, Calavera. Uh, Fief, pass this one on to you. Yeah, I, I think I, I have maybe a little bit of a, a non-standard take on how I see the the value. I mean, maybe not non-standard, but I think kind of like what's really valuable about uh, protocols like synthetics are their are their ability to be permissionlessly plugged in by other protocols, not necessarily, you know, user facing applications directly plugging into synthetics, but applications like polynomial or Lyra or something, you know, higher up the stack that kind of touches synthetics in some way. And you kind of have this uh, framework slash playground to build, you know, novel products or vaults or strategies or whatever that are can be permissionlessly built and kind of just touch synthetics in one way uh, to use whatever type of, um, you know, derivative contract or instrument you're trying to use, right? So like perps, 
and you know our atomic swaps right now i kind of see them as just like showcasing the case the capability of what you could do with this with this type of system and uh i think as uh we expand that especially in v3 to be a lot more versatile and modular uh we'll start to see a lot more different types of experimentation that should be pretty exciting great thank you Alfif. uh k said your response to this question please uh, i would just say that you know, synthetics is in a really unique position here to come out of this bear market with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of transactions processed in a day. I think supporting the ability to support multiple new assets to really differentiate ourselves from other per protocols. Um, and I think Afif's answer was really, really great. Um, you know, I think that the permissionless aspect, um, as well as like some of the siloed risk things can just make the sky the limit for how far you guys can take this. Thank you, Kset. Terabellis? We have a world population of over 7 billion people, many of whom probably possess the intellect and intuition to profit heavily from participation in derivatives platforms currently due to KYC requirements aren't able to do so. If um, Synthetics is able to take its 13 traders and turn them into even a small proportion of that 7 billion, I think that will be a great success. And through being built on blockchain and through access being limited only by the availability of an internet connection and the capital necessary to buy an underlying asset like Ethereum, I think we might well be able to start on the road to achieving that as we build out the tool set that is being developed earnestly by our developers. Thank you, Tara. Bert? Yeah, so I think, um, I think obviously a lot of us are in the space uh, in the first place because of the permissionless aspect of these products. Um, and I think that's a really important and powerful uh, part of this. Anybody should be able to access uh, synthetics products and the products built on top. Um, and I'm, I'm a firm believer that these kinds of uh, financial tools need to be brought to anybody in the world. And I think, um, I think synthetics is in a unique place in being able to offer some of the most flexible financial tools in the world. So um, I know you've probably heard um, Matt throw around the term uh, trader's paradise, and that is exactly what I imagine here. I, I imagine between synthetics and the uh, partners uh, building on top, we can really combine these products to have um, any payout that you can imagine with almost any amount of leverage that you can imagine, serving all kinds of purposes from trading to hedging. Um, I think I got into synthetics because I imagined a world where I would not have to move my assets anywhere else and I could do everything from one place. So that's really what I'm here to, uh, to kind of advocate for personally. Thank you, Bert. And finally, Red. Thank you. We've, um, we've seen over the past couple of weeks, the, the power that an integration can have in terms of driving, volume to the protocol and driving fees to stakers. 
And so I think the beauty of synthetics is it, it can be many different things. It can be it can be a layer that sits underneath applications that people don't even know that they're using, um, or it can be uh, it can be a trader's paradise, as Bert puts it, um, where folks come to trade derivatives. And that there are probably uses for synthetics that we haven't even thought of yet because of the flexibility of the design and the flexibility of the system. And I'm interested in um, what, what Kane brought up a few months ago about uh, using synths as a cross-chain bridge as well. So I think there's huge potential. Um, and if people are using it without even knowing that they're using it, then, then we're off on a great start so far, I think. Excellent point. Thank you, Red. Uh, moving on to the third question. This question will be open for discussion. What strategy do you think will move us to a place where the majority of rewards come from protocol transaction fees and SUSD and less from SNX inflation? Uh, I can start. Um, I would say the most important thing for synthetics is to work with integrations like obviously the curve one is huge right now but any integration that's going to drive long lasting sticky volume that doesn't provide toxic flow to the stakers is going to be the best way to make sure that the volume stays around Yeah, I, I agree with that. And jumping to what Afif said before, you know, just more integrations. Uh, I think we've seen, you know, a very nice way of doing co-marketing together. Um, yeah, just just making sure that the bread and butter of synthetics being that liquidity pool where other projects can jump in and use, and obviously that it's, you know, easily integratable and usable from a smart contract perspective. Uh, I think we just need more people to come with more ideas and to build on top of synthetics. And that's going to be, that's going to be the way to move us out of inflation and just rely completely on fees. Uh, I would also like to say that proper risk management is going to be very important going forward in getting people to build on top of you because protocols don't want to worry all the time about the death spiral. I think, yeah, risk management, definitely at the platform level of making sure that the platform is risk minimized, but also like reducing the risk involved with staking. Like we've kind of done a lot of that by kind of reining in, you know, wrappers and not scaling them up beyond where they should be and managing, you know, the risk within the debt pool. And now like having a lot of flow go through curve pool. Curve pools also helps a lot because it limits, you know, the, the exposure taking on by the debt pool. Uh, and if we have a lot of more of these, you know, at the protocol level, instead of not always at the governance level, that keep things safe. If you could reduce the risk profile of staking, then it, you kind of, right, you know, like the, the, the yield that you're getting from SUSD, you know, you're for basically providing liquidity to the system, um it becomes worth a lot more if you can reduce the risk profile right because we want we want better risk adjusted returns not just nominal returns so like i think also like having like reducing platform risk but also reducing like just the risk associated with staking uh will go a long way for us 
All right. I haven't heard from Bert, Red, or Tara. Anything to add on this question? You know, I'll I'll jump in. I think um I think luckily we are uh we are seeing a lot of SUSD fees being generated um lately from from both atomic swaps and from uh people wanting to trade um now on Quenta. Um we saw a big uh, a big boost in trading there when the market was particularly volatile. So I think um even though we're not collecting a lot of fees from that yet, I think we can kind of see that when there's an opportunity there, people actually do want to use these products. And um, yeah, I think we're we're well on the way to being able to rely more on SUSD fees rather than inflation. I think um, people are generally aware that I'm an advocate of trying to use inflation for um, incentivizing other behaviors besides just staking directly. Um, I really like the uh, proposal that Kane made recently to incentivize trading um, because I think that will basically directly pay um, stakers in SUSD rewards and make the trading experience easier, encourage more people to try the product. So I think, um, trying to imagine other ways that we can incentivize different types of behavior, um, and maybe indirectly, uh, incentivize staking in that way is a, is a good way to move forward on this. We need, we need markets. Oh, sorry. You go, Tara. Um, given where we are in the market cycle, it's also going to be necessary to think carefully about how incentives are deployed. We probably are all participants in the cryptocurrency space long enough to know that when you have a drawdown like we are experiencing at the moment, it can take a little while for uh, people to start re-experimenting. So therefore, in order to balance these, in the long run, we need to be careful at the same time to also watch what we're outputting in order to attract those traders or to make sure that we're developing um, the UX experience, the UX that people crave, whilst also retaining funds necessary to draw people as they become more willing to participate. Yeah, I agree with what everyone else has said. Um, we, we need integrations, more integrations like we've seen with one inch driving volume. Um, but we need markets. People want to trade as well. We need to we need to bring them bring them quickly um, when people want to trade them. Sounds straightforward. Um, implementing it not necessarily so, but um, I think the concepts are fairly simple of driving volume. I would also, and I guess a fifth, you do a little bit of this is you know having people dedicated to work with our partners. Like literally, you know, a lot of companies do this where you have people that are really just their only job finding new partners, working with the partners, helping them on board, uh, doing the co-marketing, all those type of things. I'm not sure that I've properly seen that exclusive, exclusively. No, correct me if I'm wrong, please. The ambassadors are going to cover that, aren't they? For a large part. Yeah, uh, we have a couple yeah. within the core contributors who do it, but it is also super beneficial to have like a community like ours that kind of does it like, Caleb does a lot of that. He was mostly just a community member until he joined core contributors recently. But, you know, like Millie also does a lot of that. Like I've seen Alexander doing a lot of tweeting. Gumboats is out there making Dune dashboards. Like all of that is like good marketing. And like it's, you know, the power of our community. But like, yeah, we all, it also is great to have like as many people as you could have dedicated to that as possible is 
obviously great. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying more like, you know, um, on hire, meaning you, you have objectives. You need to get, you know, four partners by the end of the quarter. You need to onboard two of them before the end of the year, you know. And, and obviously, yeah. I, I love and appreciate all the community does, but, you know, we also need to start seeding them somewhere. Yeah, definitely. All right, I think we can go ahead and move on to the next question. Question four is for individual response. What are your thoughts on the recent discussion about what the C-ratio should be for staking SNX? Uh, Bert, we'll hear from you first on this one. All right. Um, I try my best to follow this discussion, and um, I am probably not the most qualified uh, for this kind of risk management Um decision and would probably have to defer to a lot of what other people say, but I think it's very important to have a resilient system. And um, I have personally seen pretty good cases to be made for um, raising the C ratio back to 400. Um, and I think I, I understand that the concern was um, that with the price moving down, um, it was going to be pretty easy to find people underwater on these positions. Um, and we wanted to avoid that. I think with the amount of money that Atomic Swaps uh, is bringing in right now and the incentive to really buy synthetics, um, there's a little less uh, risk to the downside right now. So I would I would think that um, somewhat aggressively trying to bring it up to a uh, 400% would, would be better for the, uh, the long-term health of the protocol, um, as far as I understand it. Great, thank you, Bert. Uh, Tara, your response to this question, please. Something that often seems to occur in terms of SIPs being released recently is that they're reactive. The recent discussion about the C ratio is very much one of those, and that we've had a huge boom in price that has opened up a risk that people hadn't necessarily considered before. Or at least um, they may well have considered it, but without it actually occurring, there wasn't something in place in order to respond to it effectively. And I think for the community, um, it's important to have procedures in place that allow them to anticipate what is going to happen under certain price conditions, um, how the price is effectively going to impact their ability to mint. So while I see the validity in the conversation going on at the moment to push up the C ratio quite aggressively in order to protect us from manipulations being carried out by certain members of the community, potentially, arguably, almost certainly. Um, there's a lot to be said for establishing the procedures so that these things aren't being carried out on the fly. They're known anticipated risks, and so we should be able to prepare for them. Thank you, Tara. I'll see if we'll hear from you next on this one. So there's a lot of layers in this question. Um, so there, there are several like angles of the discussion. One is what should an appropriate C ratio be? Um, then there's the distinct you know, situation recently where we were worried about a bunch of mints coming on at a very short period of time when the price would go up and then very rapidly come back down and could put unnecessary strain on, on the system. 
Uh, and then there's just a general concept of like, how should we think about this? And and like Tara said, like, are we just being reactive? We don't want a system where we have to constantly respond to market conditions. Um, with the recent push to to raise the C ratio, um, it maybe is not um, wasn't like uh, caught by everybody. But when it was lowered to 300, there was kind of a, a, um, an assumption that we were going to put it back at 400. And it was just lowered to 300, at least among the Spartan Council at the time. It was lowered to 300. So th there wouldn't be difficulties for people trying to claim after, after a round of liquidations in May. So the only thing we were waiting for, and we did talk about it like several Spartan Council calls ago. I think I had raised it. I said we should have a plan for what we're going to do and pre-approve something so that we could just do it when the time comes, but there wasn't much interest in pre-approving anything. Um, but we were basically waiting for if the price recovered, then we could raise the C ratio back to 400 where it was. Um, then we had this weird market scenario where we were worried about, you know, something suddenly going up and it kind of makes you think like, uh, do we want to even change, you know, the mechanism for how we allow people to mint? Do we want it to be based on something more stable than the current price? Like, if the price goes up tenfold in five minutes, like, do you want to allow people to mint ten times as much debt? Probably not, um, because then it goes back down, you know, ten times again, and you're screwed. Um, as far as what a long-term, like, healthy C ratio should be, there's probably a lot more model modeling that needs to be done and risk management analysis. Gauntlet is part of that, but we're kind of still going back and forth with them, trying to get uh, <clears throat> zero in on a, a little bit more. Uh, am I going over time? I don't know how long I have for these answers. Uh, you're getting close. Maybe just some final thoughts. Okay, final thought is that the C ratio is ultimately a function of the creditworthiness of the debt pool, right? Like, if we had if we had 100% assurances that everybody was minting everybody was hedging, everybody had funds to pay down debt when they had to, uh, you could basically let people mint at like, you know, 150%, right? Uh, it's all about the risk of the creditworthiness of the debt pool. And I think the fact that we had a 50% drop, only a 50% drop at the beginning of May, and 25% of debt stopped servicing their positions, like should make people a little bit concerned that maybe, and that was with 400%, not even with 300%. Uh, it should make people a little bit concerned that the creditworthiness of the of the debt pool is not super high. Great, thank you. Uh, Calvary, your response to this question, please. Yeah. So where do I think the C ratio should be? So I, I'm very happy to see that we're starting to get analytic teams really starting to draft the behavior because I'm completely on board with what Terra said on, on the fact that we need to establish known procedures, meaning we need to be able to give the community the ability to to make it predictable so that they know, oh, we're, if we have a 50% drop, this is what's going to happen to the C ratio. If we have a 100% increase, this is what's going to happen with the C ratio. So I'm in no position. I'm not an analytical guy in that sense to be able to tell you it's 400, it's 401, it's 666, or it's 1,000. Uh, I think there's there's smarter people that have much better information like Gauntlet giving us some advice regarding what to do. Uh, what I do think that we need to be doing is looking at the long-term problem. The long-term problem is we do not have standard operating procedures. We do not have risk scenarios. And those need to be drafted. Those need to be written down uh, so that we can actually just 
hey, this happened, this is the procedure, this is what we're going to do, just like a, you know, just like a normal company does. Great, thank you, Calavera. Red, your thoughts on this question, please. Uh, crypto assets are highly volatile. SNX is more volatile than most, at least lately. And we need to have a C ratio that allows the collateral to withstand more than a 50% drawdown. And 300% can't do that. Everyone's going to be flayed for liquidation if it goes down 50%. So it definitely needs to be higher than it is. I, I'd support it going back to 400. But like others have said, I'd, I'd need to take advice from uh, those who've done the modelling on what the appropriate C ratio is. But I agree also that certainty is important to stakers. So having some sort of framework to fall back on about how to uh, decide what it is and when it changes and so on, I think would be really good. Thank you, Red. And finally, Kset. Uh, I think I've talked quite a bit on the C ratio, but um, definitely uh, for raising it, um, 350% or 300% was sort of an emergency measure and it was a response to the market conditions. And um, it was, I think, pretty well established that the plan was to raise it back. Um, I would say that it's it's great to say that, you know, we can monitor people's creditworthiness. And there were a lot of really, really good ideas um, in the chat about how to do it in the future to sort of track people's risk management and penalize people who aren't really very credit worthy. Um, but I think it's important to also respond to the situation at hand. And this is a long-term problem with a long-term solution that we can come up with, but it's also a short-term problem that we need to be reactive to so that we don't blow out the protocol. Um, by being irresponsible. So I, I think it should, you know, we can, as we get through this, we can come up with like for V3, you know, a, a, an algorithmic way to set a C ratio um, and restrict minting in volatile conditions. But the situation currently is that it's a very volatile market. There's a lot of risk in both directions and we need the flexibility to be responsive immediately because these things happen in the in minutes to hours and the current process isn't going to allow for us to respond that quickly i would also say that probably 400 percent for a c ratio is a great step um realistically with the token volatility as it climbs the c ratio needs to increase um it should probably be north of 400%, um, but, you know, how far north, you know, we would need some more analysis for that. Thank you, Kset. Right, moving on to the next question. Question five will be open for discussion. Given recent events, what are your thoughts on merging trading fee pools across networks in the future? Was that an open one or an individual one? This one's open. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I, I'll i start, I guess. I mean, I think uh, it's like a definite, yes, we should do that. Um, I think probably anybody supports that. Um, 
I think maybe it's just a little bit uh, the technical implementation is probably needs to be worked out. <clears throat> it's probably going to be difficult to move SUSD between L1 and L2 um, without some kind of cross-chain messaging protocol. Uh, so potentially CCIP could help with that. Um, even if we could do it, you know, manually, like there'd still be seven days in flight sending SUSD from L2 to L1. So that would be kind of annoying. Uh, and then it would still have to be, you know, something that the PDAO does manually, which is also has a large surface area for errors. So probably the only way this could realistically be done is if anytime there's a fee, um, an, an exchange fee, it just gets sent to the burn address and then everybody's debt is reduced by that amount. Um, it kind of reduces the UX feature of pressing claim and watching the you know, the SUSD hits your wallet, which I know people like. I mean, you could kind of still have that by just minting, right? Like if, S if SNX stays flat for the week and you get some fees and your debt stays flat, you d you have some extra mint capacity. So like we could do it through something like that. Uh, but that's probably the only way it's realistically doable is if fees get burned. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of a no-brainer that it needs to happen. We we have We have merged debt, debt responsibility over networks we should have merged fee benefits as well and um i've i've like a thief i've come around to the idea of, of of using using burns to do it rather than teleporting synth around i think that's that's just going to get out of hand and um open us up to risk so burning is to reduce debt is certainly the way to do it i'd be interested um to hear from um, core contrib probably not now, but at some point from core contributors about whether it's actually feasible to to implement that in V2X or whether it whether it has to wait for V3. So we'll see we'll see how that goes down the track. I think. Ideally, there's equity and risk between the two pools prior to the uh, pool being merged. But I mean, you have to also weigh that with. What I believe is the overarching desire to move to move staking predominantly to L2. So in some ways, even if the risk of staking on L2 is, or rather, if the burden of staking on L1 is greater than the reward one receives for doing so, one could understand that as being a push towards moving stakers over to L2. Yeah, I think, you know, again, as Afif just mentioned, uh, everybody is in agreement this needs to happen. I'm a bit uh, bearish on cross-chain messaging. I feel that this is going to be a, a, like, it's it's necessary, it will happen, but I would not want to be the first on borders on using cross-chain messaging because I feel there's going to be lots of hacks, lots of issues, lots of problems going on. So if we find a better way in order to do fungible tokens and move tokens from one chain to the other, like, you know, probably the, 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 the you know, the process that uh, Aptiv just mentioned uh, regarding burning, if that's feasible and secure, then I will probably go much more for that route than to be one of the first ones of using a, uh, untested, unproven, and on, you know, uh, just untested and unproven uh, messaging system. Yeah, so um, I think, unfortunately, this is a very, very difficult question for me to answer because I, um, I think Sam has brought up the question that's kind of in my mind, which is, um, what is the incentive then if, uh, if 
you're burning debt automatically from the fees. What is the incentive to manage your C ratio? And I think everybody is um, very into the idea of lowering inflation if possible. And it seems like that would kind of be uh, something that blocks us from lowering inflation. So it's not an ideal scenario. Um, But at the same time, um, if we are going to do something like incentivize trading on L2, it might be a... um, it might be a necessary uh, temporary measure um, if there's not really a chance to uh, implement cross-chain messaging or any other better measure. Um, that that might be something that um, that is necessary to to keep it fair for everybody. Because I think if uh, if everybody's inflation is being directed towards incentivizing trading behavior, um, everybody should be able to benefit. But yeah, I think. Um, I think it's unfortunately not so simple as as doing that um, because I think I would really like to see inflation come down. I think that's going to be better uh, overall for public perception of the token's value. And so um, ideally moving everything to one chain and just having staking on one layer is, is going to be what I see as the uh, the best solution here. Sorry, I didn't mean to front run the next question. It's all right. Uh, KSET, I don't believe we've heard from you on this one. Also, Kane appears to have joined the chat. Uh, Kane, we are talking about merging trading fee pools across networks if you wanna if you wanna hop in. Uh, I think I would just echo what everybody else said. Definitely for merging, I think, um, re- realistically at this point, just whatever is easiest from a developmental standpoint is what's important. Um, I do think it's important that they are shared just so that we don't uh, create pressure for people to move back to L1 or more resistance to moving to L2. But um, I don't think that the issue is worth um, diverting a huge amount of development resources at this point to improve the UX. So I think if, if burning works, then that that's great. Anything to add, Kane? All right, we can go ahead and move on to question six then. Question six is for individual response. Do you believe the current SNX inflation is sustainable or not? If not, what would you suggest as an alternative? Tara, we'll hear from you first on this one. Uh, No, the current SNX inflation rate is pretty overboard. Um, It is a result of a SIP that was passed and let run and then paused. Um, the SIP's target was to increase staking, and the market has thrown any scientific analysis of um, the success or failure of that effort out the window. So I would recommend a rapid reduction in um, inflation to the point where we can start observing the data scientifically and use it as it should be 
a means of um, encouraging good staking practices. Thank you, Tara. Kane, your response to this question? Might be, might be having issues. sound issues. Yeah, uh, I guess we'll we'll come back to Kane. Kset, uh, your response on this question, please. It de definitely needs to be reduced. This this isn't a sustainable level here. Um, I was supportive of lowering it uh, incrementally over time. You know, a couple percent a week while we observe what is you know what the impact is i would say like a large um <laughs> thanks Jimmy. um a, a large shift in inflation right now could put unnecessary sell pressure on the token or might just have a bigger impact than we want i would say that the c, <laughs> c ratio is a, a little bit different in that it's more of a protection for the short term but the inflation is something we can handle sort of long term. I know that Kane on the last call felt really strongly about not doing anything to rock the boat in the next couple of weeks. And I do somewhat agree with that take, although I think a percent or two starting soon would, would be fine. Can you guys hear me now? Thank you, Kset. Yes, Kane, we can hear you now. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I think we should just take all the variables and start randomizing them. Just Throw, throw everything into chaos. That's my vote. Um, it's my trollish entry to the discussion. Um, so uh, in terms of um, the previous two questions, because I, I couldn't answer both of them, my, my answer is actually uh, kind of the same, which is that um, if we move all of staking across to, uh, to optimism um, and we end up in a situation where we have more than one other network, so more than uh, just L1, and all staking still on optimism. I think we actually find ourselves in a similar-ish position to uh, what Alan was in. Um, and the ALIP that I wrote uh, to um, work out how to distribute fees that were accrued on other, uh, other networks, I think kind of applies a little bit. Um, so yes, if you are um, burning fees, it's suboptimal because you're rewarding everyone. Um, what was the situation uh, that Eamon was in, Kane? They, the situation, the, yeah, sorry, the situation Eamon was in is they uh, needed to work out how to uh, like accumulate all these fees from different networks, um, put them into some kind of fee pool, and then like bring them back. Now, obviously, they haven't distributed, uh, you know, Eamon's not on um, multiple networks, but the plan is to expand to a bunch of networks. Um, and so, the question was, okay, can you just burn, you know, do like a buyback and burn style mechanism, right? Um, and the argument against buybacks and burns is that they are inefficient, right? Because you reward everyone, not just the people who are doing the thing that you want, right? But the way that we actually got around that, interestingly, was to say, well, if you have a higher inflation rate, you force people to stake, right? So you force people to like do the thing that you want to do. Um, and then you can, through that higher inflation rate, uh, you know, not be as concerned um, because people are getting inflated out. So you're forcing them to, to do the thing, um, even though the economic benefit uh, is getting kind of distributed um, to everyone, regardless of, of their performance. 
Um, and so I do think that there is an opportunity for us to at least test this out within synthetic. So once we get that migration up and running and we migrate everyone to L2, I think it will be worth testing this idea of burning SUSD rather than trying to like pass it back through to, um, Dell to and distribute it. It's also kind of aligned with what we're thinking about doing in V3 as well. Um, is you know, burning SUSD for a similar reason. Again, it becomes hard to like move fees cross chain and make sure that they're distributed equally and, and what have you. But I think alongside that high inflation actually uh, does you know create this um, this uh, forcing function to get people to stake. So my view is leave inflation as it is, not um, not mess with uh, the network and essentially do anything destabilizing. Um, and my view is also that we should burn fees on uh, on L1 um, rather than try and migrate them across to L2 and distribute them. Thank you, Kane. Uh, Bert, your response to this question, please. Um. I'm sorry. In the discussion, I kind of uh, I kind of lost the original question. Is this about inflation specifically? Yeah, I'll go ahead and repeat the question. Do you believe the current SNX inflation is sustainable or not? And if not, what would you suggest as an alternative? Okay, so um, no, I don't think it's sustainable. Um, I don't think it's going to destroy the network, and I think. Um, we're all pretty clear on what uh, the inflation incentivizes, right? We want to incentivize staking. We want to incentivize uh, maintaining a healthy C ratio. Um, but I don't think that it is great to have this um, kind of looming supply that's ready to be dumped on the market. It's uh, kind of letting everybody know that um, 12 months down the road, there's going to be some volatility. Stay away from the token. And that perception does get picked up in the broader market. And we want people um, to not be afraid to buy this token and stake it. Um, we ideally, I don't think we want to shy too far away from um, from having casual holders, right? I know in the past there's been some uh, resistance to having people just buying to trade on centralized exchanges, and I think if we have uh, SUSD fees coming in that incentivizes people incentivize people to stake and provide liquidity to the network. I don't think um, that we really need to be dissuading people from holding tokens um, somewhere else, at least a, a percentage of the supply, right? And I don't think we've seen um, the current inflation rate actually do very much to uh, get a high stake percentage. So um, it seems to me like it might be it might be a little bit too high, and it's not incentivizing the behavior that we want already. Um, I would personally like to see inflation come down quite a bit. I understand we can't drop it, you know, to 10% overnight or 20% overnight. Um, but yeah, I think um, dropping inflation is kind of one of my number one goals. And I would like to see it, at least that process starting so that we can see what type of inflation rate we actually need to incentivize the behavior that we want. It's a powerful tool, but I think it's being overused right now. Thank you, Bert. Great points. Red, uh, your response to this question, please. It's going to be pretty similar to Bert's answer. In inflation is useful. It's useful for incentivizing behaviors that we want. Um, the current situation is the result of an experiment to see if Ponzi-level inflation 
would increase the level of SNX staking. It hasn't had any appreciable outcome on that, although a lot of other things have happened in the market, um, but it didn't really work. Now, um, I think it needs to come down. So the answer to the, to the original question, is it sustainable, is no. Um, but I, I recognise that we can't just drop it overnight. So I would support a staged weekly reduction um, of, of, a, of a percentage, uh, but it certainly can't stay where it is. Thank you, Red. Uh, Calavera, your response, please. Yeah, I guess similar to everybody. Obviously, this is not sustainable. Um, something needs to be done. I don't think, and, you know, after some discussion with Kane in the, in the latest calls, you know, I, I kind of understand that we do not want to make any drastic decisions immediately, given how the market is and, you know, how, um, I don't want to say fragile, you know, the system is not fragile, but, you know, the state of, 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 you know, collateral and everything else is at the moment. So my suggestion, just like many others have stated over here, let's, you know, uh, let's have gradual increases, 1% a week, 2% a week. I don't know. We need to come up with a proper number, make those uh, and, and figure out what that is. But uh, more important of all, we need to let the people know that this is happening with anticipation and not that suddenly they're starting to see reductions and that our discourse starts being flooded like, hey, I jumped in because uh, SNX promised me, you know, 120% uh, uh, staking rewards. Uh, what's going on? So just, you know, let's come up with a plan. Let's communicate it a couple of weeks in advance and let's start addressing the, the, the reduction of inflation. Great. Thank you, Calavera. And finally, Afif. Yeah, so I think um, it's important to kind of know where you are in the space of trade-offs um, when, when, you, when we're thinking about this, right? Like the, the initial goal of having high inflation was so that people would stake because nobody has staked. Um, if the inflation was totally gone, um, right, you there would be some expectation that fewer people would be staking, um, or then we become very, very reliant on the fees staying at what they are now. Right, we don't want people to unstake because then the bandwidth of the network shrinks and then volumes shrink, and then it's this kind of like reflexive, you know, uh, contraction. So we definitely don't want that. Uh, but I think it's kind of important to talk about inflation in a long term with like within a long term framework, you don't want it forever because that is bad it makes anything besides staking prohibitively expensive so you know lping or market making or whatever or lending or anything is it's just going to be it's going to be hard to borrow it's going to be hard to buy on exchanges um and all of that right it comes at a cost so long term you don't want it but short term how do we get to a point where the net where the network can be more robust without having to rely on inflation to get people to stake um i think probably the primary solution is going to be other risk-bearing collateral types. So like some other stable coin or ETH or something that stakes, which is planned for V3. Um, until that point, you kind of have to, I think we have to kind of try to trap as much value staking as we can so that the network doesn't contract. So I guess long-term, like, no, we definitely don't want inflation. Personally, I think we should try to get off it ASAP. Um, but I, it's also not great to just do something without knowing, you know, what the plan is in the long term, right? So long term, like, I think 
additional collateral types will improve the risk profile and network and will require less inflation. And like, we should shoot for getting to that quickly in V3. That's my answer. All right, thank you, Afif. Moving on to question seven. Question seven is open for group discussion. What is the future cross-chain synth strategy? Is this dependent on V3 or is there something currently in development that can be implemented sooner? Again, this is for open discussion. Seems like I guess this is similar to the... Yeah, this is not similar to the previous question, I guess, you know, regarding, uh, you know, joining the, the SUSD pools. And yes, I uh, agree, Tara, there's probably only a few people that can actually answer this with certainty, definitely not me. Sorry, I yeah, I can go ahead and answer what I would like to see. Um, so I think, um, you know, as as it was pointed out, I I think um, there's there are probably not too many people who uh, fully understand like what kind of um, what kind of resources this is going to entail, um, how feasible this even is in the short term. Um, I think we would all love to imagine that next week um, you have since on you know, five different chains and swaps running on all five of those chains. Um, that sounds amazing to me. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think in the short term, um, we definitely need to think about, uh, dev resources and, um, I'm probably just going to have to listen to the people who are, uh, who are core contributors telling me whether or not these types of things are feasible or whether or not, we should really have resources focused on B3 and, uh, and, and not think about them um, because I really don't know. I think the biggest blocker for this is, is you need a cross-chain messaging solution, right? Um, Synthetics isn't an, an infrastructure provider in that regard. So trying to spin up our own cross-chain messaging is probably not a great idea. So we're kind of just waiting until there's a generalized uh, messaging solution that we can use like CCIP or something. Um, those are probably the biggest blockers. And then the, if it works and it's tested, then, you know, it just kind of becomes a why not thing, like try it, see if there's demand and go from there. Uh, but I think at this point, yeah, we're just kind of waiting until the solutions are there. I mean, currently there are other solutions, right? Um, it's just, they're not necessarily being looked at because there's a preference towards CCIP. Like what? Uh, well, there's any call, multi-chain. Um, there's also uh, what's it called? Stargate, the layer zero solution. Yeah, I mean these are all fairly new. Like I, I, even if even if they are you know there, like we still need people to go and evaluate them. Um, but. Yeah, I personally, I haven't looked into any of these myself, so I can't speak to those. So somebody else would have to, but. I would I think if we're talking about resourcing, um, I would, I, I would, I think we have bigger fish to fry in terms of this is, this is definitely something we should be looking at, but 
let's look at the development and core contributor resources we have. Do we need to really focus on this or should we actually be focusing, at least in the short term, on some other problems like the ones we've been talking before? So uh, while we wait for a you know, secure and sustainable cross-chain messaging solution or just any solution that will allow us to do, you know, merging, uh, moving the sense, moving SUSD and so on. Sorry, Kayset, I think I... I no, I that's, a, that's okay. Um, I, I would say, like, I have done some looking into a bunch of these, and I, I think the overall strategy here is a pretty good one of it doesn't necessarily pay to be the first one. Like, the, the downside is so high for an established protocol to implement something um, like this. The wait-and-see approach is probably the best one um but in the future definitely the plan should be to obscure away from on the application level even where what chain you're on that you would just come to synthetics and trade there and you wouldn't need to switch your metamask and you would just have no general awareness of of what chain you're on but i i think that waiting and managing resources um is probably a, a better plan right now I know for a fact that Apple really regret releasing the first smartphone. Well, we're not Apple in this scenario, and I bought a BlackBerry, and that was a mistake. <laughs> All right, anyone else have anything to add? All right, we'll go ahead and move on to question eight. Question eight is about the fee share mechanism. And just for a quick review on the current fee share mechanism, integrators receive a treasury funded rebate paid in SNX based on the volume they route through synthetics. What is your view on this policy? And do you think there should be any updates or amendments that might entice more developers to come build on synthetics? I know this is not specifically directed towards fees, so I may be going sideways on the question, but I think we should provide more incentives together with the fees, provide them resources to integrate with us. Like anybody that has tried to integrate with synthetics probably knows that it's not the easiest protocol to integrate. So not only not only giving them fees, and probably we can also, you know, if we're looking where to send money and where to send inflation, that's a good that's a good place to send inflation towards to. But as well, you know, providing them either resources, monetary, or people to also help them onboard uh, their protocols into into synthetics. I think that would be a good use of it. I would add to that. I think that B three should offer some protocol level rebates for like verified non-toxic flow. Right now, Lyra's had a great um, relationship with Treasury Council has been helping with some of the fees, but the process as everyone grows bigger is not sustainable for Treasury Council to rebate people for fees paid to the protocol. Um, I think it's very much something that you see in CFI is that it's it's payment for order flow and, I we we have other protocols come and 
um, you know, or, or large trading firms come and say like they would um, be happy to help us find a way to direct volume towards them instead. And it's a competitive market. Like there needs to be a way to sort of pay, pay for order flow or find a way to send um, re rebates through the protocol on that level without watch trading, watch trading stuff. Yeah, I think the um, the one thing about the way incentives work now is that they're not very targeted. Um, and I think the important thing moving forward is to, you know, not just consider um, not just consider volume, but consider like the growth prospects. Like where can these incentives be directed um, where we're looking at volume, you know, going 5x or or 10x if we look months down the line. I mean, I think... Um, Obviously, I I feel very strongly that futures has a has a pretty good potential if we can provide the right trading experience um, for people to be putting, you know, at at least ten times the volume through futures as right now. Um, I think it's also very important to consider that if you're looking at the the difference between the notional volume going through futures versus um, versus atomic swaps or something like this. Um, with dynamic fees, there are times when, you know, a futures trader might pay for the exact same notional volume five times the fees that um, that you would pay to to swap a spot synth. So, um, you know, it's a obviously I as a trader would like those fees to come down or be more predictable. Um, but I think, um, yeah, when we're directing incentives, we have to consider that. Um, there are certain areas where we can see a ton of growth if we direct these incentives appropriately and um, just generally uh, giving people uh, incentives for volume might not accomplish that goal. Thank you, Bert. Still haven't heard from a few of you. Tara, Red, Fief, Kane, anything to add? Uh, I think like incentives to integrators are, are great, but they're kind of best as early stage incentives. Uh, like it's not something that we would want to be paying forever. I mean, if you think of like every integration right now, right? Like curve, like it's good to pay some fees early on to incentivize them to integrate. But over time, like Curve LPs get fees from cross-asset swaps, Curve Protocol or whoever gets admin fees from cross-asset swaps. And so that should be sustainable. You know, like Lyra, like we can pay incentives for early volume coming through, but in the long run, like they would be sustainable as a user of the protocol without requiring subsidies. So I think it makes sense and it's great as like an early page integration incentive, but it's I don't, I don't think it should ever be anything that's permanent and that we're paying out for every integration out there. I mean, imagine like if like one inch routes through curve and saddle and all these people and like everybody's touching synthetics in one way, how do we even share all the incentives for all that volume? It, it, do it doesn't really make sense. I think in the context of a money Lego to pay everybody always all the time for every bit of volume that goes through. Sorry, is this in, in relation to 203 specifically? I just read the 
question again, and um, maybe I'm I'm missing this. Is this just like a general question about incentives? Uh, this is a general, general question. question. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, general question about the the current inter, in, integrating incentive. Uh, if you know, if you want to, if you want to describe two hundred three as part of one of the solutions, please right. go ahead and do that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you I know, we tried to be just for what it's worth. Yeah, I, was I didn't think you were. That's why I was confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's that was what confused me. Um, so uh, look, you know, I agree with the fifth. I think uh, you want you know high incentives uh, that are maybe even discretionary um, because you know if you try and come up with like a, a generalized incentive, uh, you know, we've seen plenty of projects that it would have been not sufficiently high, right? And plenty of projects where it would have been too high, right? So like, it feels like this is almost like a business development function. One of the hard things with BD, um, certainly in a decentralized project is we don't really have any way of doing it properly. Um, but it is something that potentially like the ambassador mandate could expand um, to capture in my mind, right? But I think that these kinds of like one-off or upfront incentives or like some scheme or something like that um, really needs to be discretionary because it's hard to, to come up with the, a generalized version of it. That said, I do believe that, uh, that something like 203 should be generalized. Um, so you know, when you're allowing for um, uh, someone who's integrating to you know, add a fee um, that they can capture, making it as easy as possible and standardizing it um, and letting the market decide. So that's, I guess, you know, my, my kind of balance, I think, between like ongoing uh, revenue accrual for partners, which I think is fine as long as it, there's a market uh, dynamic at play um, versus like upfront integration incentives, which I think need to be discretionary and, and controlled by like a committee or a council. Um, add somewhat the, the partner fee structure um, is may maybe not defensible for SNX to keep integrations by passing along the need to charge a fee to the, this is specifically like Quenta is that it, it isn't um, like if they just charge a fee, then someone can just fork them and not charge, charge a fee. Um, so I, I don't think that that's necessarily the right answer here. All right, any final thoughts before we move on? All right, next question, question nine, also open, open for discussion. What is your opinion on diverting inflationary rewards as trading incentives to perpetual futures? If you support this idea, how would you structure it? I'll jump in here. Um, so I think... Um, I think this is a very powerful thing that we've seen used in the past uh, with uh, specifically DYDX is a great example where they were doing, you know, what, 20, 40 million a day in, in volume prior to using token incentives. And then immediately you can check out the chart and it's like the exact date they launched token incentives. Um, I think from trough to peak, they had about 700 times uh, 
volume uh, passing through there. So obviously, it's a very important uh, tool that can be used. Um, people are attracted to incentives. Um, they will go out of their way to find them. And it does help ease a lot of the kind of unique expenses that you get when uh, when trading through synthetics futures. I mean, it is... Um, I, I understand the front running risks well enough to know that um, dynamic fees are uh, are necessary right now. But I think it is worth knowing that if you've traded futures anywhere else, you know that getting hit with a 150 basis point fee um, is is a lot. It's shocking. And um, this is something that we can use to soften that experience um, in the short term. I think in the long term, what we definitely need to do is let the product stand on its own. Um, so I don't think this is something that needs to be permanent. I think this is um, something to soften the trading experience, make it make it easier for people to take in these early days while the system gets refined. I think it's a great marketing tool. Um, and I think we shouldn't be afraid to be a little bit aggressive with these incentives because I think one of the big fears that some people have for these incentives is that w- what we're going to end up doing is selling um in this case if we're using um inflationary rewards that would be escrowed uh, i think a lot of people assume we would be selling these escrowed snx rewards at a at a discount um to people who would be gaming the system and i think um i think what we'll likely end up seeing is that there's enough of an appetite for trading um that we would actually end up bringing in more in um, in SUSD fees than we put out in inflationary rewards. I think, um, I think people really want to use these products. And I think if we provide those kinds of incentives and we really let people know that they can have a piece of, uh, of synthetics if they come and use the products, I think that's going to be really powerful. And I think that can even capture stakers that then want to build a, uh, a larger stake in the underlying protocol and actually own a part of it. So I think this is um, absolutely a great idea to move forward with. I think we have to kind of be careful with uh, how aggressive we are with offering these incentives um, to make sure that they're not just, you know, captured by a couple bots, but um, absolutely in support of it. When we're considering the extent to which we are aggressive in these uh, initiatives, I think it's necessary to consider where we are in terms of rate of macroeconomic conditions. Um, DYDX was launching its incentives program at a, a time when people's risk appetites were very different from what they are now, most likely. So while I'm in, in support of incentives, I don't think we should be looking for parallels uh, in projects that are launched at other times. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. And I think um, having used both DYDX and Quenta pretty extensively, I think um, there just realistically is a lot more friction to trading on Quenta. I don't think we can expect uh, 700 times volume, unfortunately. Um, I would love to see 10 times volume coming through. But yeah, I agree with that. I would just be cautious on timing, you know, when we launch things like incentives. And I'm completely on board on using incentives uh, as a guerrilla marketing type of uh, 
uh, approach, um, but I would love to make sure that we're timing that appropriately for different reasons. One of them is user experience, you know, that uh, and capabilities are there, but also you just brought a good point regarding just volume. Can we handle, can the network, sorry, handle that amount of people? Is there enough liquidity to handle all those people? Is there enough documentation available, you know, YouTube's, uh, YouTube videos and stuff like that? To make sure that you know when people read, oh, there's incentives over here. How do I how do I use this so that they you know so they don't they don't get scared about you know just you know moving to layer two optimism synthetics. How do I get collateral? How do I get synths? Sorry, those type of things are important to think before we launch the incentives. You also need to consider that these incentives programs are often going to determine people's first experience of the platform. If we're not providing the UX at the point at which these incentives are launched um, to retain those users, it can have a negative effect in the long run. Absolutely. Great. Anyone else? Uh, anything to add on diverting inflation rewards to trading incentives? Nothing to add. That's not in my set. Yeah, nothing to add. I think it's all been said. Great. Thank you. Moving on to the next question, question 10. Are there any specific partnerships with other protocols that you would like to see implemented and why? This one is also open for open for discussion. Uh, personally, I'm like mega bullish on complex like vaults and strategies. Like, I I'd like ba most basically, I'd love to see a basis trading vault, or I'd love to see tokenized basis trade that we could use as a stable form of collateral to back SUSD issuance. Uh, I'd love to see more things that plug into perps, like uh, maybe you know Uniswap LP vaults, where you you know maybe borrow ETH and provide stable coins, and then use synthetics perps to delta hedge your position. Um, there's like a huge list of things that would be great to see uh, plugged into. I don't have any specific protocols in mind. Just anybody building anything like that. I think Polynomial is working on several. Um, anybody else on optimism would also be great. Uh, but yeah, that would be my list. I hope, I, well, at least I think the community is united in thinking that a uh, partnership with an NFT protocol that would be able to release an NFT every time we do a gov call would be very much appreciated. Yeah, like yeah, pull-up or, or soul-bound tokens. You know, I, I think that could be a grant, actually. We don't need to partner with, with pull-up. No, uh, I, I would love to see much more somebody coming up with ideas to implement things like soul-bound from Vitalik and issue some of these uh, NFTs that are not transferable for, you know, also recommending behavior. When, when, when you mentioned that, it's the fact that, let's see, we had a 50% drop, a lot of people got liquidated, but who absorbed all the 
liquidators or who absorb all the damage. Now, maybe we could come up with some rules and reward those people with some medals, with some um, NFTs, those that actually absorbed all the all the damage that was happening in the, in the protocol. I think that will drive also a lot of good behavior. Yeah, so I think um, I think the number one thing that uh, is is kind of front of mind for me is um, getting some kind of basis trading vault built on top of uh, synthetic futures. Um, I know I saw D commas mentioned in the Gov call chat. Um, I think uh, for two reasons: number one, because I would love to see the um, the volume come through futures. Um, there's definitely an opportunity there that's kind of untapped. Um, and I think number two, because arbing down these um, these funding rates is also going to improve the trading experience. So I think if we can get something built um, similar to what's built on PERP um, on top of Synthetics Futures, it's uh, it's going to be beneficial overall for the futures trading experience and for stakers. Uh, I would say any, really any sort of protocol integration, but cer certainly more of the aggregators, um, but also any sort of leverage or margining integrations would be really awesome to see like a gearbox or um, something like that, except uh, SUSD so people can leverage and create different payout structures using their vaults. An idea that has come up is also, you know, incentivize a little bit utility of SUSD as a stable coin. Maybe we can incentivize all the protocols to, this is not really an integration, but to make use of SUSD as uh, as a stable coin for their you know before they're launching and maybe kane is doing something like that with some of his protocols that he's working on from the initial steps so instead of using usdc and instead of or instead of using usdt die they're actually starting off with susd and incentivizing a little bit of that could be good similar to what quenta and Thales and everybody else know susd first I think there's also something to be said for looking into non-pegged stable coins as a source of integration through being able to mint off them. Um, I'm not entirely okay with the risks involved, but I know that there are stable coins that are um, algorithmically and raising and falling in price relative to Ethereum, for example, um, Float Protocol. They seem to have proved relatively robust over the last couple of years. So potentially looking into means of integrating decentralized manners of increasing synth liquidity is worth pursuing. Not just that.
Great. Thank you. If no one else has anything to add, we have reached the end of the questions and it's now time to hear closing remarks from each candidate. Uh, Fidip, we'll, we'll hear from you first. Ooh, closing remarks. I wasn't ready for that. Um, I guess I'll like, go. you know, we, I'll go yeah, if, okay. if you want, if you need if, right. yeah, you to go think ahead. about it. Cause I've been thinking about my closing remarks and I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm, uh, I'm in a bit of a shitty mood. Um, it's been a long day, but um, I, I'm a little concerned, and this concern has been growing um, over uh, the last couple of epochs. Um, at uh, what I kind of sense is uh, a lack of sort of practical awareness of uh, of the realities of maintaining synthetics um i think we've got some people uh who are candidates who are very smart people but maybe just a little oblivious to like the practicalities of of balancing uh synthetics like it's still in a situation where you know i i think that there are a lot of challenges and, and a lot of things we need to get right and you know it's uh it's unfortunate that we're in that position four years later um but it is what it is right and we can't pretend like we're in a, a situation that's different to the situation we're actually in and the situation we're actually in is yes we've got a little bit of momentum a little bit of product market fit but there's still a lot of things that need to happen and i i think uh, you know there just is maybe a, a lack of like contextual awareness and so I, this is just a call out to voters, right? To say, um, be very aware um, and, and mindful of whoever you're voting for, uh, that you are comfortable that this is a person that you want to be running the protocol. Because we need to make no mistake that the Spartan Council is now running the protocol. They're, they're in charge of what the protocol is doing. They're in charge of making decisions that are critical to respond to market conditions, to um, you know, take advantage of opportunities, et cetera. And this is a different position to the one that we were in, I would say even you know, six months or a year ago, right? A lot of power has been pulled away from the CCs and Spartan Council now represents a really significant power base. Um, and if you aren't confident that this is the type of person that you would want to run an early stage project, then you really need to be wary of voting for them on the council because that's the group of people that we need um, because we need people that are, are you know, capable of executing and thinking through problems and solving problems and not people that are taking like an ideological approach to things. So that's my call out to voters to just be very wary of that and, and keep that in mind because that's certainly what I'm keeping in mind when I'm voting. Thank you, Kane. Uh, Fee, if you you ready for your closing remarks? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I kind of I think we have like for a few epics in a row now. I, I've kind of been happy that uh, for a while it seemed like we were starting to have fewer you know people interested uh, in, in in the Spartan Council. But it's good that we still are maintaining you know more, like a decent number. A decent amount of interest and high quality candidates. So I think that's that's great. Um, but I guess like I guess cl my closing remark for me would just be that um, 
Oh, shoot, sorry. Can people hear me? Yep. Yeah. Can people hear me? Sorry, I lost connection when I got a notification. I lost my airplane. Anyway, yeah, yeah so... Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, great. Sorry, yeah. Okay, so yeah, so closing remark would be um, progress, you know, we've made over the last few epics. Two epics ago, we didn't have futures. Now we have futures. One epic ago, we didn't have, you know, atomic swaps plugged in. Like, progress keeps being made. Um, I think the biggest thing that we need to focus on now is getting over the hump and getting to V3. Um, like V3 is going to be a more final state of the protocol, right? It's something that is where we want to be shooting for sustainability of incentives of, you know, bandwidth of everything that we need. Uh, and so I think like V3 should keep being kind of like the main focus of the Spartan council from here and trying to get us to a more ossified state as a protocol. Uh, and that would be my closing remarks. Great, thank you. Uh, Calvera, closing remarks from you, please. Cool, thank you. So um, this this is my first epoch that I participated over here. I have to admit that specifically for anybody new over here or people that have not participated, it is definitely a ramp up to get used to the different uh, terminologies uh, and the different functionalities. Uh, honestly, looking at it as an outsider, as a community member, and then being part of the council the first couple of weeks, man, I didn't understand anything. You guys were talking about acronyms and and, and variables that uh, you know took me a while, definitely, to understand them. I did put my hours of study into the different SIPs because you were talking at SIPs like if they were your children and you knew them for for all your life. So just to close down, I'm, I'm, I'm a silent guy. I work in cybersecurity, so I'm a pessimist and a negative. And I'm a silent reader. I read everything that's happening. Uh, but make sure that when I, I make sure that when I say something, I make something that I really want to stand for and that I really, that really feel that it's important that the community knows that this is my stance. No, you're not going to see me chit-chatting you know, with everybody here and there every time. So um, with that said, I'm really um, interested in seeing a more robust system I know I learned a lot in, in this epoch about how fragile the system can actually be. So I'm very much looking to push for V3 now that I understand much more of the protocol and making the system more robust. And I want that our basics are covered, that things like liquidity, that there's enough, that our sense are available to be used by any protocol, that integrations are easy to, to be done. Those are the basics of synthetics. Now, and like I mentioned before, I feel that synthetics is the protocol of protocols. And if we focus on that ethos of being the protocol of the protocols, uh, I think that's, you know, that's where synthetics is really going to find its market fit, independent of price, liquidity, uh, or inflation. Thank you, Calavera. Uh, Bert, your closing remarks, please. Yeah, so um, I would uh, I would just like to come out and say that I am in fact an an idealistic candidate. Um, so the uh, the call out to idealistic candidate one hundred percent resonated with me, and I think um, it is important to acknowledge that the uh, the goal uh, of Spartan Council here isn't just to make the coolest products that we can possibly imagine. Um, the goal is also to uh, create a create and maintain a robust system that's going to protect stakers. Um, and I think we've seen 
um, in watching all of uh, these unfortunate deaths of uh, other other protocols and other communities around us, I think we've uh, we've seen that building a robust protocol is very important. Um, but I am also one hundred percent willing to lean into the idea that we have to have a vision for the future and we have to be able to communicate that vision um, to the community that's going to uh, come on board with us and provide the liquidity that we need. And, um, you know, we also have to be willing to communicate at every step of the way um, if we are not able to move forward aggressively with creating the type of experience that that we all dream of. Um, we need to be able to communicate why exactly to the community. I think a lot of people have felt a little bit in the dark in, in uh, past epics. I think this ep epic's been pretty good with uh, communication, but I think people have felt a little bit in the dark in the past about what decisions Spartan Council is making and why. And so I think that's a very important thing to consider moving forward, um, that, that we need to kind of keep that process as open as possible and continue on the trajectory that, that we've been on in that sense. Thank you, Bert. Kset, your closing remarks, please. Um, yeah, I would say this has been a great learning experience for me. And I think um, for everybody, that there's been a lot of progress made and so far survived a really volatile time. Um, and that's really promising to be able to come out stronger than we were before. I think now more than ever is a time for really diligent risk management and um, to be able to provide stability as a protocol. I think there's a lot of consensus today around um, sort of integrations and getting more integrations and what is going to be able to drive more fees to stakers. And part of doing that is, as I think Bert said, providing a really robust protocol. If we want to have people push to use SUSD out the gates instead of a USDC or a DAI, then we need to treat the risk factors like a protocol that's going to provide something that's actually truly sound and stable. Um, yeah, I think we need to pay really close attention as we, you know, got, we gained a bunch of, I think, power when the CCCs decided to shift the roadmap and developer resources over to Spartan Council. And it's really important that we look at the feasibility of some of the proposals and work with the CCs on, on what's a must have right now versus what we can sort of get, get by with until we can get to V3. Thank you, Kset. Uh, Red, your closing remarks. Can you all hear me now? The last couple of times I tried to speak, I was not audible. We can hear you, yes. Excellent, great. Sorry about that. Not sure what happened. Um, so I, I'm not going to pretend that I have a, a deep technical understanding of all aspects of the protocol. Um, I think I understand it pretty well. But what, what I do have is the capability to, um, to critically think, um, to understand information that's presented to me, to weigh up different opinions um, and to make what I think is the right decision. And that's all, that's all any individual can do is make decisions that they think are right. Um, I, do have a, I do have one ideological view, actually, is that 
it, we, we should probably in the long term strive for governance minimisation. Now, that would be um, irresponsible now uh, to try to minimise the amounts of decisions that the Spartan Council makes. But I think in V3, we should really look into what we can do algorithmically in terms of tuning the protocol rather than having governance decisions for everything. So that's, that's my ideological view. But um, to, to sum up my closing remarks, um, I, th- I, was, I was on the Spartan Council January to March. Uh, I think I worked hard. Uh, I attended everything. Um, I took it seriously. I, I, I participated in the community. So I hope that I'm a trusted actor uh, and encourage people to support me. Thank you, Red. And finally, Tara, closing remarks, please. I think everyone involved in the cryptocurrency space has had a pretty rough month, um, synthetics not least. Despite that, we've demonstrated a willingness to defend the protocol. And I think um, this epoch especially is going to really demonstrate the need to do that now and onwards. Um, Governance should not be kind of something taken lightly. It should be reliable, it should be procedural, and it should be robust to being exploited. In addition to that, I think um, V3 is something that is currently often mentioned, but uh, not necessarily well understood. In this coming epoch, I think it's going to be on the Spartan Council especially to ensure that the community and other uh, other participants in cryptocurrency more broadly are aware of what the future entails for synthetics and have that clearly defined. Um, not only in SIPs that cover the technical aspects, but also its um, ideology, who it wants to be the users, who the aspiring stakers are, who exactly we're catering to, and when and how we're going to make those services available. So um, my intention is to kind of perpetuate my current uh, approach to engaging with the Spartan Council. defending good governance practices, bringing a certain aspect, bringing a certain amount of um, long-term ethics to the task of governance. Because while we are in a a money-driven industry, I think uh, cryptocurrency is also an experiment in how people act together um, in pursuit of universal benefit and um, I appreciate everyone who has attended today and who um, votes in this epoch especially. Great thank you Tara and thank you all for being here and for your insightful comments on all of those questions. For those who couldn't make this call live we'll be uploading the recording on our podcast so that everyone has a chance to listen before casting their votes. Voting has already begun and will close next Friday, July 1st at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, which is midnight UTC. So be sure to get your votes in before then. Don't forget to also cast your ballots for the Grants Council, the Ambassador Council, and the Treasury Council. Thank you everyone for making the time to be here today, and best of luck to all the candidates. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys.
Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, beautifuls.